up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. Dave, end of year. I can't believe this is our second end of year pod. One more to go and that is 2018. So I am Pat Sheehan with Dave Martinson, my uh, my co-host and trusty music source. We're going to be doing the year in review for the top albums, top songs, and just looking at some of the trends of the year. Before we jump into it, though, give us a subscription down below. If you like us, share us with friends and give us a rating and review on iTunes. Go to soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and let your friends know they can listen to us any way they want. SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you get your pods. Wherever. We got a lot to get to today. Let's start with some of the trends of the year. We're going to do trends, albums, songs in that order. Maybe the trend that was most intriguing about this year. Uh, something that has seemed to be falling off in the last couple of years and then made a triumphant return. Billboard Top 100, Dave. So why did why did the Billboard 100 make such a big comeback this year? Yeah, the Hot 100. Hot 100, right. Yeah, well, the Billboard chart has, and there's a lot of Billboard charts. The Billboard 200 is the album chart. Hot 100 for songs. Those are the two ones that matter the most and they got a lot more attention recently because billboard finally updated the way they track a song it used to be solely a radio play chart and then it added itunes purchases but now it it covers streams whether that's spotify or even youtube and that includes the free streaming and then they started tracking soundcloud streams so as the music consumption apparatus evolved the chart finally caught up and lo and behold the songs that chart the highest are different than the songs that used to chart really high because music and the type of genre that is most popular has changed. As Nielsen officially confirmed what we already knew, rap is more popular than rock now. Way more popular. And that's reflected on the chart all the time. I mean, we kind of saw this coming last year with Black Beatles. Mm-hmm. Remember Ray Schremer was a number one hit. Then quickly, uh, Bad and Bougie at the start of the year hit number one. Yeah. And then Bodak Yellow, of course. Those like viral rap hits. Post Malone's uh, Rockstar with 21 hit number yeah. one. And then even songs that didn't quite get there, like Exo Tour Life or fucking Little Pump's Gucci Gang. Rap songs just take off and they can really stick around because, you know, if the fans are, are just fucking smashing that stream button it's gonna stay up there and it, it's pretty fascinating that the chart actually matters like people are actually talking about it more just uh, you know seeing what happens on it so it's an interesting thing to change they did say that they're gonna start weighing paid streaming more than free streaming in the future so we'll see how that pans out um but that probably would skew towards older people because you know older people are more likely to actually pay for streaming so uh, that'll be interesting we'll see how that actually impacts anything but uh, yeah it's interesting to see the chart finally matter again yeah and i think talking about how the streaming plays into this playlists like rap caviar on spotify which highlights the best and the hottest songs in the country and has what like a million subscribers at this point playlist ever you know (laughs) really first of its kind and it's curated it doesn't always just pick the hot stuff it picks what's gonna be the hot stuff that's what's so cool about it this is not like radio radio is the last people to catch up to songs when they're hot right Mm -hmm. rap caviar is at the forefront what's number one a rap caviar right now time recording it's asap ferg's plain jane remix with Nicki minaj which is fucking awesome that song came out like three days ago but it's it's a song of the moment right now so it's gonna be up there and because so many eyeballs are on rap caviar, if your song is deemed interesting enough, good enough, hot enough, whatever it is to crack that playlist, and of course you need to be a you know somewhat well-known artist, at least on the internet, to even have that chance, but that playlist can really catapult your streams and get you onto the chart, and that formula has helped basically every rap song that was successful, besides people from, you know, songs from major stars. So, I mean, really interesting to see... Uh, the influence of something that's so simple and so overlooked by people that aren't paying attention. Yeah, streaming services are obviously in the TV and the movie realm. They have a a huge influence, but for music, it's been interesting to see the impact that they've had, like artists choosing to be on some streaming platforms and not on others, or choosing to release their music on more popular platforms afterwards. It's really interesting, especially moving forward, to see how streaming services are going to have an impact on culture and the amount of plays that certain songs get the amount of popularity that some artists get. Speaking of popularity, I've seen a lot of articles talking about the death of poptimism. I don't know if I, if I believe it, but Katy Perry 
dropped a dud this year. And so did Taylor Swift. Two people that are at the center of poptimism and just dropping quality, you know, pop hits that deserve to be talked about and dissected. Made two pretty shitty albums this year. And spoiler alert, Reputation is not going to be on either one of our Hell fucking no. lists. <laughs> <laughs> the death of poptimism, I don't think is as black and white as some people like to talk about it. If you're looking to read about it, look for stuff by John Carmonica from the New York Times. He's an excellent music writer, and he's talked about it a lot over the years. He's been in the game a long time. But Death of Optimism, I don't know if we can totally declaratively say that because just last year, 2016, Poptimism was in full force. Chance the Rapper, Beyonce, Solange, and Frank Ocean. Those four albums were universally lauded, and it was like consensus they were the best albums, so we'll cheer louder because of it. Basic optimism. But that was okay because those were the best records. You know, it wasn't, we weren't building up anything that uh, you know, didn't deserve it just because the person was really famous or had you know label support or anything. This year, all the artists that could have fit that mold released bad albums or mediocre efforts. You just mentioned Katy Perry and Taylor Swift, of course. They're the most obvious examples, but also High someone profile. like Miley Cyrus. Even the Kesha record didn't set the world on fire as an album. You know, we talk about poptimism. The the new rules are changing in terms of what being a pop star, I think. Well, we mentioned rap caviar, the rise of SoundCloud rap, the internet in general, the streaming age. It's easier than ever to be a pop star. The definition of a pop star is broad. Pop as a genre is more of a format than an actual genre of music. You know, the top 40 chart, the Billboard chart is more the genre than, you know, the actual pop music. But because of this situation, it's hard to stand out in terms of like being truly ubiquitous the way someone like Katy Perry. Like Katy Perry's whole artistry was just being ubiquitous because she dropped fucking smash after smash. Right. And then this year when she didn't drop any smashes because her album was bad and so were the songs, what is Katy Perry? Yeah, it's actually interesting because when I was writing that down as one of the trends to talk about, I was looking at the top of my best of the year album list. And the two there at the top, not to spoil anything, I think could arguably be considered pop albums as well. I mean, I don't think it's going to be surprised that Kendrick is going to be on my list. He is a pop star at this point. I mean, as much as he is a rap god, he's a big enough artist at this point where he fits the the poptimism mold. Right. Same with Lord, who's also going to be on my list. And that's the thing. Pop stars, the biggest pop stars don't make traditional pop music. Again, the rise of rap is a big part of that. The rock star definition is being fulfilled by people that aren't actually making rock music it's the same thing but then you know going back to the new rules i mean the new age pop stars coming like a halsey or a logic or a selena gomez or a sean mendez camila cabello whoever there's a lot of them post malone even like they all kind of have their own subsects of pop music right with their hardcore fans and all their support but Will anyone really get to the, you know, the old way of being just so, so massive as a true pop artist anymore? I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion and it's still ongoing as the music continues to change, but it's it's fascinating. And <laughs> I don't know if we can totally say Poptimism is dead because there is a few year-end lists by well-known publications that have Taylor Swift's reputation like top 10, which is just <laughs> insane. I think that if they're doing that, it's just for clicks at this point. There's no way that Taylor Swift's album should be a top 10 album this year. I think I listed like 10 more honorable mention albums, and Taylor Swift was not even thought about. You know, the last thing I want to talk about just in terms of trends as we wrap up was just kind of the rise of, I don't even know if it's rise, but the breakout of two major producers this year. We talked about it quite a bit on the pod, so we don't need to belabor it, but Jack Antonoff and Greg Kirsten working with the biggest stars. Their albums tend to rise to the top. Jack Antonoff worked with Lord, Taylor Swift this year, St. Vincent, Greg Kirsten with Halsey, Foo Fighters, Adele. He went down last year. He won the Grammys this year. Sia and Beck, who all dropped albums this year. So if you see a pop album, most likely one of those two are working on it in some respect. So just keep those names in mind as you move forward and as you think about pop culture and who's helping to shape it. Especially, I think, Ansonoff, because Kirsten seems to be, a, I mean, he pushes the, the boundaries. The Foo Fighters talked about the influence he had in, in pushing them. But Ansonoff literally takes a very uh, idiosyncratic way of approaching music. Yeah. I mean, Greenlight, what, probably one of the biggest songs off melodrama, the biggest song off melodrama, not even a question, is called Incorrect Writing by Max Martin. I was just going to bring up Max Martin because Jack Antonoff actually produces in a way that's 
the opposite of Max Martin and like Dr. Luke, the old way of producing. Right. I mean, traditional pop producers, the sound, you, you can look across all the, the whole landscape the past year, year or two. The production is very similar. It's very safe. But someone like Antonov actually is taking a risk and actually making his his own influence on it. You can find his you know influence everywhere, as you just said. So yeah, shout out those two guys actually uh, trying to curate, do something different. All right, top albums of 2017. Let's do our honorable mentions first. I mean, I wrote down a ton of these, dude. The first one I wrote down for an honorable mention: "Good for You" by Amina. I feel like that's yeah, an album that it's one of mine too. We talked about and didn't get enough love, but that is just a fun ass album, dude. What what was one of the years that stood out as an honorable mention? Rhapsody's Lala's Wisdom. It's actually nominated for best rap album. I think it's a really great listen. It's very lyrical. It uh, has a lot to say, and Rhapsody continues to grow as an MC. It's a it's a great record. Awesome. Put down Paramore's After Laughter which I've been going back and forth to decide not to put it on my list. I know that was something, one that you really appreciated as well. Definitely out of left field in terms of their past work, you know, the 80s influence. It was a pleasant surprise earlier this year. Yeah, also just a couple to just run through quick. St. Vincent, Mass Seduction, we talked about that one. Thundercat, Drunk, Mount Kimby, Love What Survives, we talked about. Beck Colors, and two that I didn't talk about that I just wanted to shout out. Julian Baker, Turn Out the Lights, and always anti-socialites those two albums are great we didn't get to talk about them on the pod but if you're looking for something just to finish up your year you haven't gotten to i recommend those two albums what other honorable mentions do you want to jump into yeah i just have two more without warning the uh project album whatever by uh metro boomin 21 savage and offset from migos had no business being as good as it was just a bunch of fucking bangers and <laughs> it's funny because they don't they have very different styles you know offsets very all about the glamour where 21's all about the murder, and uh, it works really well. A lot of good songs on there. And then my other uh, honorable mention is More Life by Drake. Ah. Great follow-up to Views, definitely more uh, lively. Uh, a lot of good songs in there. I really like uh, Galchester, I think, and No Long Talk probably are the ones that have stuck with me the most. But Portland. Yeah. Yep, Portland's amazing too. I know you might have a record yep. on, on there coming up. Is it too long? Yes, of course, but it's a playlist, so it's okay. Right. Can't even make our album of the year. Shout out Drizzy Drake as he gets into his uh, 30s. He's doing just fine. So Dave, what was your number 10 album for the year? My number 10, I didn't initially have this because I, I, despite acknowledging this problem in the past, I still forgot. Run the Jewels 3. <laughs> oh, it did make your list. Check you out. I had Run the Jewels at number 5 for me. It was a better record than More Life, so I decided to put it in there anyway. Mm-hmm. Came out on, what, Christmas Eve 2016? Yep. Dropped at like 10 o'clock on Christmas Eve. Yeah, so obviously it missed everyone's list, both publications and ours. And I I'm, I think it's being forgotten by a lot of the outlets, too, as far as what mm-hmm. I've read. But it's the best Run the Jewels record to date. Run the Jewels, of course, yep. Killer Mike and LP. Very poignant, very lyrical guys. LP's got a very unique production. Uh, they're OGs in the game, so they really know their way on the mic. And, I mean, Call Tickerton, a video just came out. Legend has it was in the black panther teaser it's just yeah, excellent rap and anyone who says that rap is uh really bad these days usually those people haven't heard of run the jewels you know yeah there's not there's nothing bad to say about the record or those guys yeah i think the only thing i wanted to add was this is like their most bombastic and, and biggest album too and it's kind of almost like a proclamation of like run the jewels as like an institution in the rap game because oh, yeah. their their rhymes are fantastic even the song that they dropped for the fifa game was phenomenal mm-hmm. they had a great year and they're teasing something bigger too so or something else for the end of this year so we well screw up all of our list again yeah well they threw out the date the 15th and then the call of tickerton video came out so i'm not sure if that's uh, all it was they even had that uh that song on the baby driver soundtrack with danger mouse and that actually got a grammy attention despite the fact that rtj3 was still snubbed they're more famous than ever which is great huge year for them my number 10 was the xx icu return of the xx after three years it made number 10 because I thought it was a really good album that could have been better. But the thing that they did best was they basically were like, oh, Jamie XX dropped maybe the best electronic record of the past 10 years. We're just going to let him take the lead and we're going to give our amazing vocals. And the album is very different from other XX albums, but it's more colorful. It takes on a bigger sound palette, which is definitely important. It's worth a listen, and I think it's probably the second best album in there, three album discography, but they're all pretty excellent. So uh, number two, maybe not. But 
definitely check it out. Number nine, just to jump into my number nine, someone that I don't know if we talked about in here, Moses Sumney, A Romanticism. He's an R&B singer. This was a very quiet but like beautiful album that used layering of voice and sound and different string instruments to really get across an amazing feeling when i was th- when i listened to it i see that scene from la la land of ryan gosling and emma stone dancing with the sunset in the background a lot it seems to be like the best description i can give of it so it's really beautiful check that album out uh, what was your number nine dave yeah my number nine was a uh, pop record i actually found a little later after it come out i said dua lipa's debut album self-titled she's a british pop star and she's kind of been bubbling for a while and she still hasn't quite broken out in the states i mean the song new rules is her biggest song it's got like half a billion uh, youtube plays right but um overall it's actually just a really fun album there's a lot of good songs on it and like lively pop music too like new rules genesis i don't give a fuck hotter than hell and blow your mind i mean five songs right there that i just really enjoy uh, right. And she's, you know, she's a, a fun pop star. You know, she's got her own uh, own little lane. So I'm happy mm-hmm. to yeah, hear more in the future. Yeah, I've seen her on a lot of end of year lists. So I'm not surprised that you had her up there. What was your number eight? My number eight was Flower Boy by Tyler, Ooh. the creator. I, you know, NPR gave this, I think, like number four or five this year or something like that. It was really high up on their list. I don't think we expected Tyler to be able to make such a cohesive, thoughtful project. It was very different from, certainly different from Cherry Bomb, but even more different from his, you know, early work where he was more known for being very vulgar and uh, violent. But yeah, I mean, who that boy is a nice banger with Rocky, but Garden Shed, I mean, fucking boredom. There's so many like thoughtful, somber songs. And obviously he comes out on the record, which came out of left field on its own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's really well crafted. And Tyler's obviously, he's always had a great ear for production and that shines through here as well. You know, you got Frank Ocean comes in for a little help as well. It's a really, uh, really special record. I don't, I don't have any Flower Boy songs on my top 10, but I think overall as a project, it's uh, worth uh, honoring. Yeah, and sonically for Tyler, the creator, it's so different, but he incorporates different elements of like jazz and yep. like R&B into it so well that it's really just well done. My number eight, I'm, I think you have it on your list too, Vince Staples' Big Fish Theory. Where did it fall for you? He's number six for me. Number six. So we're not, we're not far off. You know, listening to a lot of these albums recently to, for this list, I was really just struck by like the range of the album. You know, the, the sound goes from like house to trap at times. It, yeah. it really is just very inventive. And Vince also, I think, has some of the most thoughtful and thought-provoking uh, bars on this this album. He's a, also just a really cool artist in general. I really like him. He was he was great on Bill Simmons' show, R.I.P. Bill Simmons' show. He's, he's hilarious. Yeah, he is. Great interview. What did you like about the album? Well, he's so frank as a person. It also comes out in his music. He'll mm-hmm. casually rap about his days as a gangbanger, and then he'll immediately talk about the prison industrial complex like two bars later. You know, right. he's he's very thoughtful, but also very frank. And like you said, the production is so varied. I mean, Cali G-Funk, obviously he's from Long Beach, yep. West Coast Sound. Then he'll flip to the house set. Like, listen to Bag Back. That's also in the Black Panther trailer. I've been a fan of Vince for quite some time, but this album, no one saw it coming because he's never had so much, you know, variety in his work before. But right. we always knew he was a thoughtful guy. So the fact that it kind of, you know, came, you know, full circle on this. And it's not to say that the record is flawless. I think there are some lulls in it because he does so many different things. But I mean, overall, just the ambition is is uh, so commendable. Definitely. I, I totally agree with everything you said. Just to kind of keep it moving, number seven for me was Spoon Hot Thoughts. I saw them recently perform this. Well, most of their hits, but a lot of songs off this album. And I was listening to it a lot getting ready for the concert. This album grew on me throughout the year. I think I was, I liked it, but didn't love it when it came out. This is an album I really ride for now. And I think what I really like about it is just how they continue to grow as a band and spoon i mean this is probably their second or third strongest effort they have a really long discography so to say that is commendable but the part that they really use this time was dance and electronic sound to really give them some variety and move them in a new direction and it pushed them and they definitely bring that out in their live shows and this album in general just is good Song one to song, what, 10 or 11? Definitely check Spoon out. Give me your number seven and number six, Dave, then we'll jump to the top top fives. Sure. Just one quick question. Do you think Hot Thoughts is the best or most interesting rock record of the year? Uh, Well, it depends on what you would count LCD Sound System as, but it'd be the highest one on my list if you don't count LCD Sound System. 
Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, LCD is definitely a little uh, out there, unique. So yeah, fair point. You said seven, uh, seven and six. Well, six was Vince Staples, and eight was Flower Boy, and seven for me was All American Badass by your man Leon from Mr. Robot, Joey Badass. Yes. Yeah, that's the guy. Joey came out with the first overtly political record of. 2017 i would say definitely the first of, of raps kind i mean yg had fucked donald trump but that was only a song last year right all american badass there's some anti-trump sentiment throughout the songs but the overall sentiment's more about the play to the black man and uh, just racism and trying to be better i think the song uh, temptation has a video that's a very lively song because it's about i think it's like about perseverance you know it, it's not all doom and gloom for joy badass but he does, you know, right. call it how it is. It's very criminally under-listened record. It did not do well in its first week. And I think that's because this is an album that's not going to garner new fans. You know, this is just playing, doubling down on his bass because it's so hyper-focused, such a concept album. Definitely stands out in the rap landscape this year and absolutely worth everyone's time. Yeah, I think this was an album that was forgotten. And didn't necessarily get as much love as it needed. Well, it, it came out the week before Kendrick, so that right. definitely didn't help. And that was, what, the same week as More Life, too? More Life was like a week before that, yeah. So, yeah, it's a horrible time to drop an album. My number six was Sampha Process. We talked about it at the beginning of the year. It's just a really beautiful album, an up-and-coming artist. I mean, he's worked with Kanye and Drake. Where, where he goes with these songs in this album, it's such a personal album about loss and grief and pain. And he delivers it so beautifully. Through And I mean, I think the songs that stick with me, the biggest song off the album was Blood On Me, which is, a, he, it's almost like exacerbated in the song. I was reading up on the song, just I was interested in how he got the sound. And he actually like went for a run before he would record the, the, the <laughs> vocals because he wanted to sound like he was like running in, in this dreamlike song. But the song that sticks with me most is not, No One Knows Me Like the Piano of My Mother's Home. Just a very touching, moving, purely piano vocal sound. Sampha's going to be huge. I have no doubt about it. This is great first album. So jumping into my top five, I already talked about Run the Jewels. I'm just going to jump to my number four then. LCD Sound System, American Dream. So I'm a huge LCD Sound System fan, Dave. I saw them again this past Friday, and I was interested because a lot of people knocked this album. A lot of big LCD fans were like not as high on American Dream. Mm-hmm. Did you check it out? No, I've been meaning to listen to them from the start, so I haven't started that yet. <laughs> that, that, that is a smart move. I think when I gave my review, I was high on it, but I, I said for an LCD effort, it's probably one of their worst. I judge LCD a lot, a lot of times by how they do live now, after seeing them three or four times. These songs fit into the live show very well. I think the most interesting thing about this album and the reason why it's still an excellent album is James Murphy, the lead singer of LCD. He's an interesting figure, and I always like to dig on LCD for their fake breakup, but right, this record seems to have resonated. Yeah, he just used a lot more of, of his own edginess. A lot, a lot of LCD before was focused on the softer side of pain, but he really brings a hard part to it. And he brings LCD sound from the first three albums into this one, so it's a very eclectic album for them definitely worth listening and if you're gonna check out one song other than the one that'll be on my top 10 list i would say tonight by them is the most lcd it's very cheeky but also brings in a dance sound with rock that fits so perfectly i just fucking love lcd dude they're such a good band mm-hmm. <laughs> what were your five and four albums so five was a brockhampton record can you guess which one saturation three no i decided to go with saturation one i don't think i've sat with saturation three enough to make that call maybe i'll update that at some point but right now it's saturation one we talked a lot about brockhampton last week before our star wars last jedi review so check that out south.com slash nostalgia pod plus youtube quick rehash brockhampton's a very eclectic unique wide-ranging rap crew self-styled boy band they have a lot of good rappers in there but they most importantly bring a lot of unique ideas to song creation and sonics and very kanye west inspired very nerd inspired and they're only just beginning they're going to be huge stars so please get on board now while you can i'm very excited to see them in concert this february so yeah saturation one probably their most famous song to date gold is on that record as well as a star which has just amazing punchlines. but overall i mean i think that album is probably 80 percent good to great you know it's it's it, i really enjoy it i'm excited to get into them in the beginning of this coming year you definitely turned me on to them 
them. And I listened to Boogie today just because I put it onto the Nostalgia Best of list. And I was what like, you think? bobbing my head in my office. Like, people were like looking in, like, what the fuck am I listening to? It was, it was great. That production is nuts, right? Yeah, it's fucking awesome, dude. Yeah. So, number four is a record that came out very early in the year. It might be the first big record of 2017. I'm, I'm not sure if it came up before the XX or not. And this would be Culture by Migos. I don't know. I think it did. But yeah, that, I mean, Bad and Bougie was basically the, the song of the end of 2016, basically. Right, yeah. Bad and Bougie came out in October and started bubbling, rising up. And then Donald Glover put it over the top at the Golden Globes when he shouted him <laughs> out. And that's when they yeah. hit number one, like the next day. Uh, but yeah, I think... Migos really came into their own this year, and of course, Offset and Quavo in particular had great years as solo artists as well. Yep. And Culture as a record really showcases the triplets' flow that they made famous, and the rap landscape has you know used uh, in scores. In scores. Um, yeah, and of course, their chemistry as a trio. You know, they're all basically related. They've, they've known each other forever, but they'll finish each other's sentences, and obviously, the ad libs are uh, second to none. And on top of that, they just have a lot of fun records, and this album is full of them. I mean, you said Bad and Bougie. I mean, T-Shirt and Get Ready With You and yep. Slippery with an excellent Gucci Mane feature and mm-hmm. Kelly Price with Travis Scott. They're just such a fun group. That's what I was going to say. They're just so much fucking fun, dude. Yeah, and I think culture, it's tough to really say anything bad about it because it's so good at what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Culture didn't make my list, but it was one of my honorable mentions. I didn't want to step on your your list, so I left it off, but definitely enjoyed that one. Number three for you, Dave. Hova, 444. Throwing up the dynasty sign, bro. Yeah, dog. Saw him perform at the Meadows, too, which was awesome. Jay-Z did not know what to expect coming into this, you know? Uh, his last two records, The Blueprint 3, and Magna Carta Holy Grail were very corporate, very uh, uninspired. <laughs> Jay-Z's only number one hit to date is Empire State of Mind, which, you know, is a fun song, but not, not the greatest song. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of been up and down. And the most exciting thing about his career the past, you know, six, seven years, actually even later, because he, his records were <laughs> Kingdom Come in 06 was really bad, too. And American Gangster was okay. The most exciting thing he had done recently was Watch the Throne. And that was because Kanye fucking uh, produced the shit out of that, you know? So coming into this, an old Jay-Z, he just turned, I believe, 48. He was 47 when the record came out this summer. We saw what happens when old rappers think they still got it with Eminem last week. But Jay-Z did not do this. He came out with his most insightful, introspective, personal record to date. I mean, it's still kind of unbelievable that a rapper, (laughs) he's the first rapper of his kind to make something so good at an old age because rap is no doubt a young man's game. And I mean, the story of OJ, that's a yep. song that got uh, what saw a song of the year nomination mm-hmm. from the Grammys. Yep. OJ say, I'm not black, I'm OJ. Long pause. Okay. That's more poignant, just okay, than scores of rappers this year, scores of anyone. Yep. And I mean, you go through all the record, 444, the title track. Oh, did Jay-Z really cheat? It was just a stunt for Lemonade last year, right? And Jay-Z's like, nah, bro, I cheated. <laughs> he yeah. just fucking spells it out. And then even like... His mom comes out as a lesbian on this. That would have been a huge deal if this was anyone else's record, you know, yeah. <laughs> if it was any other year. No ID's production is immaculate. Really great attention to the album. Very cohesive. And the way it ends with Marcy Me is awesome. Great record that I think is actually a little underappreciated, underlistened because it's stuck on title. Most of the songs actually have a, a YouTube video now, uh, like a music video. So you can listen to, I think, at least half the album that way. So I recommend that. Yeah. Because uh, the highs are on this album are just so high. I actually toyed with having this number one. Wow. Just because I think as a record, it's incredibly cohesive. It, it's so focused. And, you know, I really toyed with it for number one. Yeah. We were talking about what to expect of Jay-Z when this album coming out. I think we were saying it was probably going to be more like Revival than what it turned out to be. Yeah. It's definitely exciting. And it actually makes me feel optimistic for rappers as, as they get older so i think up until this point most people kind of say well when, when you reach a certain age you just don't have anything to say anymore and your career basically fades away but jay-z seems to be pa- paving a different path which makes me excited because i don't want to see someone like kanye west or jay-z fade off into the distance i want to enjoy more of their songs so hopefully they're able yeah. to do this successfully right. my number three was uh scissor con- uh, scissor <laughs> scissor control scissor. Scissor. Jesus, scissor. it's been a long fucking day yeah, Control, I was playing this the other day just to kind of check out some of the songs I hadn't heard in a while, and I started off just from the beginning, and I just ended up listening to the first six songs without even noticing, like, 
I'd gotten through them, and they're all so fucking good. I think one through six it might be the best beginning, strongest first six songs of an album this year in general. And this is her second effort as an artist, and it's so personal and so well written. A song like you know Doves in the Wind that features Kendrick, or even like Love Galore, which I've seen a lot of people's like top ten song lists didn't make my. I picked actually a different one from this album, which right. I've been like sitting with for months now and just loving. Just so beautiful, and SZA I think is gonna be fucking huge star, and this is her coming out. She said that she didn't even like music until her last album, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> like you said, she's going to be a star, best new artist nominated. I yeah. think she's the odds-on favorite to win that. Supermodel, Weekend, the other song you're going to mention later, is a lot of great songs. Mm-hmm. And as a rap fan, I've known of SZA for a long time because she signed the TDE, where Kendrick, right. Schoolboy, J-Rock, and Absol are signed. So you know we, we've known of her for a while, and we've also known of her issues, which is her output and just having trouble getting her music made. And I, I, I've never expected SZA to release a critically acclaimed album like this. I mean, it was probably 50-50 that she was going to fade away because of her label issues. And what a, what a triumph, you know? I'm, I'm really happy for her. So just to keep moving forward, Kendrick Lamar's Damn was my number two. There's not much else to really say about this album other than humble, loyalty, love, and DNA. They could probably be four of the top songs on anyone's list if you it just didn't give a fuck about variety and just like i'm just gonna pick the best songs i mean the whole album is classic kendrick is the top bar of rapping at this point and just rap and r&b music making i think what really made this album so wonderful to me was just where like the the different places he went to on this album a song like love something we've never seen from kendrick doing a love song he does it so perfectly but not in a corny way which you know, you see someone like Drake, who is considered to be a peer of Kendrick and someone that's up on that level of, of stature in the rap game. He makes the corniest fucking songs ever and people clown him for it. Kendrick makes a love song and people say that it's a beautifully written and, and poignant song. Yeah, damn. If you haven't listened to it, I don't really know why you would listen to our podcast because it's pretty much the epitome of everything <laughs> we like in music. So where, where's Damn on your list? Damn's number one for me. Yeah. The reason I toyed with Hove at number one is because I really think that Damn is Kendrick's least cohesive record. I think that's pretty unquestionable. Mm-hmm. This is his most radio-friendly record to date. Poptimism. It's just straight up not focused. But because Kendrick is such a fucking stud, it also doesn't really matter. Yeah. To Pimp a Butterfly was his touchdown, and Damn is just his victory celebration. Touchdown dance. Lambo leap, if you will. An underappreciated song, the last song, Duckworth. Yeah. Miracle as fuck. You mentioned corny songs, Drake getting clowned. Kendrick should have been clowned more for God. Yeah, probably. That's what God feel like. That, that song is low-key whack. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Kendrick gets a pass for all the other quality he puts out. And, you know, it's it's actually interesting because as you're talking about his least cohesive album, I, I totally agree. But I think that just speaks to how cohesive his other albums are because not many people make albums as cohesive as Pimp a Butterfly or even Good Kid, Mad City, you know? So what was your number two then? If that was your number one. My number two is your number one. Oh, Melodrama. When we did our, our mid-year, the, these were at, at the middle, and I was like, there's no way that we're going to get through the year with these two still being the top two. And we did, which I think just speaks to the quality of these. I'll let you take the lead on talking about Melodrama then. I mean, honestly, this is an interesting record, because if you look at all the outlets... Some people have this album top five on their list. Some people have this in the 40s. Everyone knows it's, it's worth honoring, but the range is all over the place. And I think that really speaks to just overall personal taste, honestly. Yeah. But what you can't deny is what Lord actually does on this album. Lord is a pop star who became super famous at a very young age, of course, with uh, you know when Royals busted out when that was at 2013 so yep. or 2014. It was a while ago, 2013. And she kind of went away since then. And she comes back. A little older, a little more wizened, more experienced now, but she still kind of preserves her youth and tries to grapple with that on the record, despite now being really famous. And it's really a shame that Greenlight and Supercut weren't bigger hits. Yeah. Honestly, it's just kind of weird that it didn't happen in the age of streaming. I just, you, you would have banked on that, but it didn't go, it would go that way. And then Liability, such a touching ballad. The Louvre. Uh, has some great wordplay. Perfect Places is poppy as hell, but mm-hmm. I, that's probably my favorite song on the record, honestly. It's a little corny, but I, I really, really love it. It's the most uh, important pure pop music in the traditional sense yeah. record, no doubt. Lord's still really young. She's, what, 21? 
22. I'm really happy to see her career as it continues to grow. You know, especially for someone so young, it's easy when you're writing an album that's mostly focused on like the ending of a relationship, the breakup and the post, like the aftermath of it. It's very easy to make these songs be grating and whiny and just very sad. And Lord takes such a different perspective on it. I mean, like Greenlight is basically about getting the okay to move on and move forward and have a life. She delves in and out of the emotional highs of this record with such grace. And, you know, a song like The Louvre, it's so different than any other song on the album and any pop song you'll ever hear because it basically takes a chorus out and replaces it with, yeah. a, you know, a sound, a drum beat. That was Jack Antonoff incarnate, yep. that song. Exactly. And it's just, I think it really pushes the boundaries of pop songs in 2017 and moving forward and just writing an album in general. We talked about it last, we don't need to belabor it, but definitely a fantastic album. I'm glad that we each uh, had it so high on our list. Let's jump to songs. I mean, we we should probably just move through these pretty quickly because I have so many honorable mentions I want to get to, but probably just going to take out a couple of them. Why don't you run through your honorable mentions real quick, then I'll do mine and we'll jump in. Sure. Hard Times by Paramore. I think that's just a, a lovely jam. <laughs> Pills by St. Vincent really struck me. I did not expect to like any of her songs as much as I do that one. Mm-hmm. Cash Out by Calvin Harris with Dram and uh, Schoolboy Q. That is a excellent summer. A little song to play by the pool. Ric Flair Drip, Go Woo on a Bitch. Got an offset from Without Warning. as Pete Offset. <laughs> that is just excellent triplet flows. You just can't touch it. Yep. A similar note, Bank Account by 21 Savage. Fucking banger. Transporting by Kodak Black. I did not expect to ever like a Kodak song as much as I do that song. But production, his flow is awesome. Yep. And it's so lively. Really surprised how much I love it. Magnolia by my guy Cash Cardi. Playboy Cardi. That, that might be the beat of the year, Magnolia. I'm always Millie Rock when I'm in New York, no question. Plain Jane by ASAP Ferg. That's a great New York rap song. Lastly, Tell Me You Love Me by Demi Lovato. Uh, really speaks to me. Like It's an awesome love ballad. I don't know. I, I love it. And then, I don't know what mention for me. I don't have any Hove songs on my list, but my two favorite ones are 444, the title track, and Marcy Me. Awesome. A lot of good singles and one-offs and songs to, to pick. I mean, the single is more resonant in the album these days, and you can definitely, definitely. see that if you look at people's uh, top 10 song lists. Oh, absolutely. Just to run through a couple, I think the two songs I just wanted to get out of the way that were just massive, but I didn't think deserved to make my list were Feel It Still by Portugal the Man, Despacito, right. Luis Fonzi, and Daddy Yankee featuring Bieber. Everybody's heard those. Charger by Gorillaz. Gorillaz being didn't really talk about uh, on this at all grace jones yeah <laughs> grace jones dude just fucking haunting and, and awesome and those those guitars is fucking dope no known drink by japan droids i mean that song whenever i hear it, i just like automatically want to like run through a wall which is what i look for in a lot of these songs new york by st vincent and also happy birthday johnny or gorgeous songs future mask off dude i fucking that song i wish i had seen that at the meadows i feel like i would have gone fucking nuts for that yeah it's fun being in a crowd of, of white kids yelling uh <laughs> percocet molly percocet when none of us fucking do zans or anything <laughs> just uh two more i wanted to get to good morning by bleachers we talked nice. about yep that's a good song the bleachers album when it came out that was my favorite song off it and also queens of the stone age like you used to do song really grew on me and it really yeah, is just classic queens of the stone age but way more dancey than they ever were it's just really fun which brings me to my number 10 song of the year dave fior de latte by phoenix well we talked about it yeah I, I know you're not you didn't really love the phoenix album but that song just has stuck with me all year i think it's the lightest on the album it's basically the passion fruit of tmo but <laughs> it's just light and it's fun and beautiful and yeah, nothing more I can really say about it than that. What was your number 10? My number 10 was Crescendo by the Underachievers off their album Renaissance from April. Saw this song live in October. Uh, Underachievers, they're a rap duo from New York, from Flatbush, Brooklyn. And this is just them trading bars, and they have great chemistry. They always have, and it's a great New York rap song. They're an uh, underappreciated uh, act because they're still kind of an underground internet artist, but uh, Crescendo might be their best song. Awesome. What was your number 9? All right, so I'm kind of cheating here. <laughs> I picked Blow Your Mind by Dua Lipa. That's my favorite of her songs on the record. I heard this song in the summer, or in the spring mm-hmm. at least, when I was first finally Googling her name and figuring out who she was, right? The song came out in fall 2016. I didn't know that because I didn't hear it then. To my defense, I had Redbone and Bad and Bougie on my 2016 list. I was ahead of the curve with those songs. And you'll see those songs on lists this year 
which is dumb. But I'll be yeah. a hypocrite because I'm going to pick a 2016 song right now. <laughs> I, I had a 2015 song on my 2016 list last year, so it's all good. I'll give you a pass on that one. My number nine, a Spoon song. Do I have to talk you into it? It's like one of the few times on the record that Spoon kind of lets themselves go as a band, which is just really exciting. They're very tight and very concise. And this song, at the end, they just start to let themselves go a little bit. And it's classic Spoon with a touch of wildness, which I just love that about them. My number eight, I shouted out earlier, Passion Fruit by Drake. Again, I know it's a corny ass song. I know Drake is corny as fuck sometimes. Super Mario Sunshine, dog. This song just makes me want to sit outside in the sun and get drunk and be light. It's awesome. I think with the way things have gone this year, like politically, sometimes you just need to be light. You know, and I'm going to be talking about a song later on the list that is not so light, but I think, I, especially for the songs I liked, I just wanted to not be thinking about problems sometimes. What was your number eight? My number eight was Say I Didn't by Vic Mensa. Mm-hmm. This is the song that Vic and Chance played together at Lollapalooza this year. Uh, Chance isn't on the song, but he came out and, uh, you know, like ad-libbed with, uh, with Vic because they had kind of like a falling out behind the scenes as they came up together in Chicago. But they they buried the hatchet publicly, and it, it really like almost brought a tear to my eye seeing that because I've liked them for so <laughs> long. Uh, but even taking that away, the song is uh, really personal, and Vic really has a lot to say about you know him himself as a person, and you know his past actions and his relationship with his parents and things like that. And it's also qu- quite a lively song and has a really good hook. While the autobiography, I think, is a up and down record overall. Mm-hmm. I think that's clearly the strongest song on it. Yeah, that wasn't up and down record but definitely introspective and some some really high highs on it so yeah uh, what was your number seven my number seven was big fish by vince staples featuring sir jay of the juice hmm. i mean back back is the most interesting song he made but big fish i think just is a slapper because yeah. on one hand you have juicy J. like i was up late night ball and just a great hook from juicy J. and then you have Vince going into it with his verses and doing all the things he does on the record that we just talked about. And this is a great union of, of Vince and how he can wear two hats in the rap game. Yeah, that was one of, one of my honorable mentions. Uh, if you didn't have it on your list, I would definitely want to shout that one out. My number seven was How Do You Sleep by LCD Sound System. It's a nine-minute song, but James Murphy basically steals the concept from John Lennon's How Do You Sleep. He, you know, Lennon attacks McCartney. Murphy's going after Tim Goldstein, his old producing partner, and it's like a cutting song. It's very personal. It really attacks this guy, but it switches up about halfway through when there's like this classic LCD drop almost. It's not really even a drop, but it's just like this change up, and the synths start to like just come like poking through, and it's fucking brilliant and it's like everything i love about the new lcd sound system record in one song so had to put it on there number six a song i was mentioning before praying by kesha you're gonna hear this song a lot of places i think with the political climate especially the sexual misconduct that's been coming out with all the Harvey Weinstein allegations. And this was really one of like the first major stories about a man in power using that power against a, a female star. Kesha's, this is like her triumphant return. It's good to right. have Kesha back. I, you know, her album was up and down. This song jumps out and her vocals on it are just so screeching and personal and emotion filled. Just really powerful and really resonated I think for the year and probably moving forward as well. So definitely worthy of the list in my opinion. What was your number six and your number five? My number six was Crew by Goldlink with Brent Fiaz and the hook and Shy Glizzy the feature. Goldlink and Shy Glizzy were both 2015 XXL freshmen and they hadn't done a whole lot since then. And then Goldlink came out this spring with At What Cost, a pretty solid record, but Crew is just a total smash. I think as a rap song, it's just, it's really tough to top. Great verse, soulful ass hook, and then Shy Glizzy just fucking burns it down when he comes in at the end. And I mean, I, I've watched videos of this being performed live, and I really wish I had uh, not missed Gold Link when he was in Boston. Yeah, I think this is just a fucking banger. Simple as that. Yeah, Gold Link, I feel like I, I listen to like one of his songs like every month somehow, and I'm always like, find myself like into it. So I definitely should check him out more. What was your number five song? My number five was Perfect Places by Lord. Mm hmm. It's the Lord's song I always go back to off Melodrama the most, funny enough. I know it's, some people actually dislike the song. I know it's pretty uh, pretty cheesy. Pretty, you know, it's like all millennial pride, but I don't know. I, I think it's it's pretty powerful. It's a great song. My number five was On Hold by the XX. Pretty much just because Jamie XX got to 
do his thing on this and putting in the hollow notes i can't go for that sample so catchy and so much fun and it really just delivered on an xx return so i mean it was dropped i think like new year's day or like a day or two after so yeah it really was the lead single number four for me the SZA song i was talking about before drew barrymore man i fucking love this song it's so so personal she talks but like she's funny and like sarcastic on on the chorus and then it has drums and then it goes into this beautiful SZA vocal yeah just a really awesome song i think uh chris ryan was the one that originally like shouted that song out off the record so i really wanted to like keep my ear out for it and chris mm-hmm. ryan hardly ever steers me wrong and this what he definitely uh one of the goats definitely so what, what was your what did you just do number five so four and three for you yeah number four get right with you by amigos hold up get right with i'm gonna get right with you. get right with you <laughs> <laughs> so bad and bougie obviously last year's list lead single but t-shirt slippery they're bigger songs than yep. get right with you but get right which is the song they've been coming out to start their sets with throughout the year and I just cannot stop coming back to this because this is just their chemistry at an all-time high. They, they take turns all spitting a awesome verse. It's just pure Migos, and it's just a really fun, really excellent song. Yeah, Migos, that, those, those four songs you mentioned when you were discussing culture right. are the songs that I think I keep coming back to and are just phenomenal. What was your number three? My number three, so I, I wanted to pick a Brockhampton song. I had to think about which one I wanted to pick. I picked Saturation 1 for my record, but I'm actually going to pick a Saturation 2 song for my song list. Star and Gold from Saturation 1 and then Boogie from Saturation 3 were in the running. But I actually ended up picking Gummy from Saturation 2. Kevin Abstract, he's the front man. He's the the biggest star of Brockhampton. And the way he switches his flow... Uh, at the beginning of this song, never stops getting me. I, I, I've talked a lot about Brockhampton in the past few weeks, but uh, this is one of their best songs, and I it's probably my favorite song they've made to date. I don't think there's many times where I feel like surprised by vocal performances anymore, but like when a rapper can really switch up their flow well, like sometimes the way Kendrick is able to like use his voice as a, an instrument right. or switch his flow up, it really can elevate a song to the next level. My number three song of the year, Green Light by Lord. I mean, it's just an amazing song that that piano should have been bigger yeah it should have been bigger and just the, the way that that piano comes in it's so like triumphant and crescendos into this like larger ending it's just really exciting and like it really gets you going it makes you want to dance number two was humble by kendrick i mean everybody's heard this song by now i think the thing that for the the top two songs that i'll just i'll just jump into my number one as well here in a second it was just the songs that everybody liked but that were also good songs humble there's that video i think it was like in arizona at a concert when he literally stops singing and the whole crowd just does his yeah, whole verse that's awesome. and no one misses a beat and i was like that's the power of kendrick and this song especially just resonated it was just the, the beats catchy the, the lyrics are amazing my number one bodak yellow by cardi b i had to give her the number one spot being the first female artist to top the charts since Lauren Hill was the top of the Billboard 100 yep. chart after Lauren yep, Hill. since 99 with Duop. Almost yep. 20 years. And this song, it's like the most braggadocious song ever, and she just fucking kills it. And I always think about that video we talked about in the pod of those people in that train station, subway, subway yeah. station. It was old people, it was young people, it was black, white, every, every race, age just love this song and it's fantastic and it epitomizes 2017 to me i don't have bodak yellow on my list because it's you know my personal enjoyment right but in terms of impact you mentioned despacito mm-hmm. that song is the most streamed song of all time 4.6 billion streams crazy so you have to have that up there and i think the other song has to be bodak yellow because it's inspiring to so yep. many women just as you know a female empowerment it's awesome but also cardi b is such a success i mean yep She's such an endearing personality. She's just very herself. She's anything but fake. And you, we've known that since she was just an Instagram star off Love and Hip Hop. Yep. And the fact that Bodak Yellow became so big, but top of that, she just set a new record. She's the first female rapper ever to have her first three chart entries all reach the top 10 because her feature with G-Eazy, No mm-hmm. Limit, you know, Fuck With Me and Get Some Money, that is in the 10, 10 right now. And then Motorsport. Her song with Migos from Culture 2, the lead single, that's number six right now. So she has, and then Bodak Yellow, I think, is like seven or eight. So she has like six, seven, and 11 right now. Uh, sorry, Bodak Yellow is 11. So she has three top 11 songs as we speak. She's unstoppable right now. Cardi B is unstoppable. And she doesn't even have a debut album yet. 
you know? And she doesn't even need to because she's making all this fucking bread, just killing it. So yeah, shout out Cardi B. Bodak Yellow, without a doubt, one of the most impactful and important releases of the year. Definitely. So give me your, your top songs. Right. So two, I picked Element by Kendrick Lamar. Yeah, that's a great one. It has a video, but it's not DNA. It's not Humble. It's not Loyalty. You know, it's not the most famous song. But Element has a great beat switch up. Element has a great flow switch up. And Element also has probably my favorite quotable of the year. I don't do it for the gram. I do it for Compton. (laughs) You know, we don't have to talk about Kendrick again, but Element's my favorite song off amazing album full of bangers. Yep, absolutely. What's your number one? Number one, I've spoiled this for a while now. It's EXO Tour Life by Lil Uzi Vert. I think it's the millennial opus thus far. It's so interesting because this song was put out by Uzi in a hotel room on SoundCloud because he didn't want to save it for his album. He just put it out. And so much he didn't even bother fixing the file. It was EXO Tour Life with two L's and the E was a three. He didn't even bother to fix it. But the song was such an unlikely hit. But then you listen to the song. I mean, he got All My Friends Are Dead, Push Me to the Edge. He got little kids singing that like it's a fucking nursery rhyme. Yep. <laughs> but even more importantly, the reason I like it so much, and I think it's such an important song, and I thought it was going to be the most influential song of the year until Bodak came around. I still believe it'll be very resonant and important for a long time, but he often talks about his uh, addiction and yep. uh, substance uh, dependence. I'm committed, not addicted, but it keep controlling me. It's it's basically a cry for help. And, you know, we look at Little Peep overdose this year, and uh, ASAP EMs wasn't that long ago. And mm-hmm. the fact that Uzi, you know, is talking about his issues and it happens to be on a hit song is really important but also um you know uzi as an artist he kind of mixes genres because he, he'll wear a Marilyn manson sh- shirt on his fader cover you know and he's he's very very unique but he also represents both the age of soundcloud and yeah. also the uh, rock star persona that artists like to give themselves and not call himself a rapper so I think because of everything it represents, but also the how personal so many people take the song, it's my number one record. Yeah, Uzi, I mean, I think this is a very surprising song to me. I never really saw him as an artist that would have something to say that, that resonates this much with people, and especially, I think, like, a younger generation. You know, this song is, like like you said, it's the opus for millennials. It's, like, so dramatic, but in the same way, like, what he's talking about in there is so serious and meaningful, like you said. It's, it's a song that I think deservedly is, is number one for you, and I think also a song that will live on and have a long life because not only is it so catchy but like you said it it touches something for people that goes deeper than just an enjoyable banger right you know like like a passion fruit exactly and to top it all off i'm seeing uzi perform tomorrow ah there you go very excited full circle and just if you guys want to listen to these songs we have all of them on our nostalgia best of 2017 list spotify playlist so check those out you can go to our nostalgia pod twitter page and we have it pinned right at the top so definitely check that out. Any last thoughts on the year in music, Dave? I think this is a really strong year overall. I agree. Not a strong year for rock as a genre, not a strong year for traditional pop as a genre, but overall, I think it's a really strong year. We saw a lot of cool things as we talked about the trends. Music's in a good place. We'll talk more about our most anticipated records for 2018 at a later date. I have a lot, yeah, so we'll talk about that soon, so please subscribe on YouTube and follow us at soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod and make sure you don't miss it. And check out our best TV shows of 2017 from a few weeks ago, our Last Jedi spoiler cast, and as well as our best movies of 2017 later. Absolutely. We will be bringing you best movies next week, as Dave said. Until then, enjoy our end of year. We love you. Peace out.